Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. On today's episode, we have Chef Greg Backstrom of Olmsted that talks about the platonic ideals of brunch and how to repurpose his famous carrot dish into a very snacky brunch version. Jameson Fink shows us how to navigate wineless and restaurants. Hint, go to the other side. And finally, Desert Sharks talks about meeting each other on the now recently defunct Craigslist ads and how to be the house band in Gotham. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Today is going to rip. That was just Desert Sharks, who will be live in studio here on Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Thanks, everyone, who came out to Snacky Tunes Live in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. Uh, Stay tuned. We will be announcing our second one uh, that will be coming up 
end of July out in Los Angeles. But I am joined now by Chef Greg Backstrom. Chef, Hello. welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Chef owner, founder, proprietor, Olmstead. Chef owner. Chef owner. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about Olmstead is uh, you opened it with a farmer. Yeah. Most people will, you know, open it with farms they work with, but you lead that you opened it with uh, Ian. What what went into that decision, and how do you think that changed the focus of the restaurant from from the beginning? Well, I mean, when, when I was looking for my restaurant space, for a restaurant space, after years of trying to narrow it down, and you know, you know, I, you know, I never really could figure out what what the food was going to look like or what the feeling was going to be like at the restaurant. But I did know that I wanted like a ten seat bar like a small enough dining room that I could still can kind of control service, but still be a profitable restaurant and just some type of outside space. But I didn't want it to just be more tables outside. I wanted it to be different. I wanted it to be, uh, you know, like I grew up on a farm that had a garden and I wanted to have a little bit of that in the restaurant and then the guests be able to experience it. Um, and Ian was a, is a really good friend of mine, so it was just sort of a, a no-brainer. We used to talk about it all the time. How how do we, uh, you know, have something like that that can impact the restaurant? Whether it was food cost or whether it was just the novelty thing, and it was just a pretty aesthetic. Um, but I knew that I always wanted some type of you know gardening element. And where do you felt that? Um, where were you surprised on, on how it affected? Obviously, food cost is because you're going to the source. But like, where were other surprises or delights that you kind of found that you think, had you opened a restaurant without a farmer as your partner, you you might not have had. Uh, I mean, it's really just it's it's an attraction. So it's another reason why guests come. Like we really try like. It, at Olmstead, it's not like this is what it is. Take it or leave it. If you if you you know if you don't get us, you're not going to get it. We want to be as approachable and as charming and as you know affordable as we can make it. Um, and so that that's just what the garden is. The I mean we we are able to grow the sunflower sprouts for the carrot dish that we do, and we're we're you know we're only in, we're only starting our third year. So we still keep planting different things in different parts of the garden because there's shade and whatnot. But we did expand again. Last year we expanded the garden. We took over the lot next door. But we just did that again. So now this year, um, we're still working on it because it just happened this past week. But uh, we will now have three lots of garden space for the one restaurant. Has there been things that Ian have been dying to grow, but just based on what you were serving, he was like, if you get me more space, I want to grow this, but understood that there was a hierarchy of what could be grown? Uh, I mean, in the beginning, it was, I mean, even things like the, I mean, it's not really like that. It's not like a hierarchy. In fact, Ian has since moved on to sort of like a very similar situation at Blue Hill Storm Barns where there's this benefactor that has this uh, large property and he's growing just like a ton of stuff on this property. Um, so he's not as round as much, but um, but we still have a farmer and, uh, and a lot of the staff that, works at the restaurant has a part of them that wants to that is into agriculture like for example our general manager she spends half of her time being general manager but the other half trying to find new ways to make us more sustainable so like right now we're, we're looking into having a cistern put in so that we can capture rainwater so rainwater becomes our irrigation system for the garden stuff like that like it's a it's you know it's not a fully functioning farm we tried to make it so that way it is somewhat representative of like a small closed system so we have the birds and we have uh we have some quail that lay eggs and we have some fish and we clean the pot they're a little it's in a clawfoot tub so when we drain that tub every month we spray that again over the garden you know we have these flies that produce larvae that becomes the fish feed so we we like attempt it it's in no way like a perfect example but that part is really for us and then if the guests have an interest in that there's there's plenty of story there. It's the same thing with the plates. It's the same thing with the ingredients that we use, the wine that we serve, the cocktails. It's uh, For us, there's a ton of purpose between, behind every little thing, even if it seems like crab rangoon stuffed in a Chinese to-go box or egg rolls in a little French fry box that we have custom made. Um, like, We want it to be at face value just this cute, tasty thing, and then we, behind the scenes, 
we make the bacon that only seven grams of bacon is going into each little thing, each little egg roll, but we steam off scrambled eggs and then we make ricotta to fold into the scrambled eggs that we're buying from local milk. So like there's a lot that's going into those silly little mm-hmm. um, crab rangoon or the egg rolls or really any dish. Um, but that's not what we we're trying to get the guests to. And as far as, you know, you opened a farm in, in the city, yeah. um, which, you know, people, it's very easy to people say, it's like, oh, we don't have the space. We don't have the ability to do it. What were some of the early lessons or kind of things that you would give advice to other people who, uh, to encourage them? You know, these are, you know, these are speed bumps, not walls for opening up an urban farm. If you can afford it, irrigate it because it takes, you know, it's now it's big enough and it takes an hour and a half just for someone to water it when it's, when it's really hot and it needs to be watered every day. Um, and that's time and time that could be spent on something else. So that's something that we are just doing this year. Um, and then we kept buying starts like, you know, eight, eight week old plants that we would then plant so that way we can have things constantly growing, but that's expensive to do that. So now we have a greenhouse. It's like a 10 foot, you know, 10 by six feet foot greenhouse, but it's enough to, to grow our own starts to put in the living wall that we have in the restaurant or on the garden. And it, it helps us, turn our crops a lot faster when you read about and especially you know like chef dan barber you know they talk about you know farmers coming and showing up and saying you know try this try that or or chefs even saying hey can you grow this for me i want to do this was there anything that that ian or or your new farmer kind of comes to you and says hey this is kind of cool have you thought about incorporating this into the, the menu yeah like so down the street we also have this another neighbor has given us uh like a 2,000 square foot uh, plot on their roof, basically. And so just trying to figure out things like, um, you know, things that turn over in 42 days so that way we can actually have enough of it because if we, if you know, we, we're still a small restaurant. So even though we're, we're thankfully very busy, we're only talking about doing 100 people a night. Like right. that is the most that we can only do 125 people. Like we're just, that is that capacity. So if we're talking about a salad, and we're only going to sell 20 a night and there's only seven days a week, Like that's something that the farmer can then be like, look, I can bring you 20 heads of romaine if that's something that you can do. I can keep up with that. Um, so that's, again, like with, you know, when you open up the restaurant, as much as I wanted it to be hyper-sustainable from day one and I wanted to be growing everything, all these heirloom things uh, that were super fascinating and interesting, it's just not how it works. You're, you know, I'm trying to make sure the menu is printed right. So, the, so... <laughs> Uh, now that we're like, we have a really great staff. A lot of the staff has been there for well over a year, so they really start to take ownership of it. Uh, and now we can kind of divert attention. Now there's watercress growing in the living wall that's for our duck dish, for our entree. Like, that's super, super cool. That's so cool. Right. Uh, can you, do you, what's the time, can the guests go pick the pick the ingredient and then be like yes i want that put in my dish well what we want to do this year is we want to do we have current we have a lot of berries that grow in the back on in the second garden a lot of strawberries and then currants and a little bit of blueberries and some blackberries and so we we want that to become like a dessert option like if you order soft serve or if you order ice cream we don't want it soft serve was too big of a thing last year so we're not going to do it this year uh and so we want to come up we want to do something else i still want it to be ice cream but I, we want it to be like, you know, guests go and pick out the fruit for their ice cream, their sundae or something like that, you know. One of the other key relationships um, was the relationship between your dad who helped yeah. build the restaurant. Um, we had Ariel from Ari Champagne Parlor, whose father also helped her build yeah. it. Um, you, you mentioned um, you're from Chicago and the restaurant is built from an old barn. Yeah. Oddly, my dad is here. He just landed and he's surveying because we're going to open up another restaurant this year and we want to expand the garden so he's he literally just flew in so that way he can kind of get an idea of what, what we're going to do next what's his what's his background he's a carpenter i mean he uh he's uh like he, he basically like 30 years ago he bought this old farmhouse there's five acres of land one of the acres is a is a pond uh this is where i grew up with my brother and my sister and um and just like a couple of years ago the barn got hit by a tornado so he's always trying to, he's a pretty sentimental guy. So he's always trying to, like he, he built parts of my sister's house and incorporated some of the barn wood. Um, and so it was like a no brainer when, when I got the keys to the restaurant that I flew out and that we loaded up 
the, his van with all of his tools and threw some barn wood in there and we just drove it and we were like, hopefully it's enough to do something. <laughs> and then it ended up being enough to frame out the counter. And like even with the c- counter, like we have this little chef's counter thing, but really it's not because we wanted some elite seats or anything. We just needed two more seats. So that way the restaurant could have two more, co- you know, more covers. Uh, and the, it was either against a wall and it would be kind of uncomfortable or just be okay with them staring right into the kitchen. And, and like any relationship working with family, it comes with its uh, pluses and minuses. Was Did your dad have a certain vision? Were you aligned on how it would look? Or he's like, my wood, my tools, my way? There is a little bit of that. Um, but when when you have a very small budget, you kind of just go with that. Like, like he just knew better. You know, how, how am I going to, I'd rather have the light switch over here and he'd just roll his eyes like, that's not going to happen. You know, I'm not going to spend three more days moving the electrical around because, you know, whatever. But we, we just wouldn't have, like, I, I, you know, I find the restaurant charming and I really do attribute that to just my dad being there. Like, we would problem solve in real time. Like, we didn't have an architect or a designer come and say, this is what you should do. We took over a restaurant that failed and we had no money. And so, for example, with the garden, he we're sitting out in the garden and we're like, okay, well, let's just grow stuff out here and guests can wander around like it's a little park. And then we thought that was a little pretentious. So then we were like, okay, so if a guest is sitting outside for 15 minutes, you know, are they going to sit down on the bench or sit down on the gravel? Okay, so then that means we really need seats. So then there's every time, okay, so now that we have seats, I think, are they going to put their, are they going to hold their glass or are they, they going to want to put it somewhere? So then he just built retrofitted tables that clipped into the garden and because we were able to do that from the kitchen counter needing two more seats to the garden beds and the and the tables he just was able to build the solutions to every problem that kept arising that's that's all i said the the bar every all of it a lot of people we have on the show that our family are siblings that we work with darren our, our twins not so many generational we had jacob's pickle on here ariel as well do you feel that you shared a similar aesthetic um, or, you know, design um, context because he was your father and he yeah. taught it to you, and like you were reading from the same book because he bought the books? Yeah, totally. I mean, we right now we're building another restaurant, but we also are uh, we took over another space, and that's just going to be a little PDR room. Like, I, we, our biggest table is five people, and it's really not that comfortable for five people. So we're trying to to fix that. Um, and I really want it to be where, like, where my dad flexes. Like, like, I want him to put a lot of crown molding, and wainscoting, and wallpaper, and chandelier. Like, I want it to be what he's like. He's good at woodwork, and so um, it'll probably end up looking a little bit like the house I grew up in. Uh, but like, I, I'm That's ma- maybe it's a little too Midwestern. I, you know, hopefully that will be ironic in Brooklyn or something. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Is there one piece of advice you can give when you are um, going up against your your dad and, you know, it's your restaurant, but he's building. Is there one piece of advice you give people on how to navigate it and still, you know, maintain a good relationship but get what you want? Just say, yeah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I wasn't going to – I mean, he was working 12-hour days sleeping on my couch because he's, you know, stubborn and wouldn't take my bed. Uh, and just, you know, waking up at six, starting working, you know, we would, we would stop around eight o'clock at night, eat, go to bed. And we flipped the restaurant in 99 days, exactly 99 days. Like that, that doesn't happen. That's unreal. Yeah. We're going to take a quick musical break. going to play a song from the archives and then we're going to come back and talk about brunch. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, here we are with the song from the archives on Snacky Tunes podcast.
So you just came from brunch service. I just shot over here, yeah. Just shot over here from brunch. Um, this just started a couple weeks ago. Last week. Last week. Um, what was it that held you off from starting brunch service when it's an obvious, you know, you're in Brooklyn, it's it's an e- not an easy revenue stream, but it's a very strong additional revenue stream. What held you back? Uh, because if I were going to do it, I wanted it to be like comparable to dinner service. Like I, I would like to open up a, a, a breakfast place, full disclosure, call Greg Zorizi someday. Um, Hold on. Yeah. Just one more time. <laughs> one more time. Greg's over easy. Oh my gosh. So like I, I'm stealing that from when I make <laughs> breakfast for my girlfriend. I'm just, I'm, I don't know where this came from. Greg's over easy. Okay. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> gave it. Somebody spit it out like, like ten years ago, and it's always stuck with me. And I really like cooking that type. Like, if I cook for myself, it's regardless of the time of the day, it's like definitely breakfast fo- focused. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I just didn't want it to be. Uh, you know, eggs Benedict and French toast and whatever. I wanted to be able to like actually give it time. It took a long time to put the menu together. Like I think, and hopefully it is perceived that it's very thoughtful. There's like, there's sweet stuff. There's savory stuff. There's still things that have bacon, egg and cheese in it. Um, but there's, there's playfulness. Like it's not, it's not like getting a lesser version of the dinner menu is what I wanted it to, you know, be. You know, you talk about it like being almost recognizable, but but not being what you would regularly see. What are some of the intangibles of brunch? Well, like like we have like these egg rolls. It's we're we're like steaming off. We're making like a almost like a custard, and then folding in ricotta that we make. Then we're making bacon that takes us a week, and then we source this like mix of like all these upstate. Uh, no, Vermont. It's in Vermont. It's like this mix of a cooperative shredded cheddar cheese. And so there's all this thought going into these things. They take, we have to, like, we're selling, you know, 45 orders of these things a day, you know, and there's uh, four, uh, four pieces in each one. So this guy, you know, it takes us three or four hours to make these silly little things. We put them in a French fry box that we had a friend of mine help, help me design uh, that has like an egg, you know, skateboarding on a it's very cute, you know, a wheel of cheese kind of thing, and he's waving a crispy piece of bacon, and we make ketchup from green tomatoes, and we put it into our own. We we bought room service ketchup bottles and soaked them and emptied them out. We we obviously ate the ketchup for staff <laughs> meal, but you know, then we put our own label on it and all this stuff. And so there, you know, like I like I was saying earlier, you know, hopefully it's just cute and tasty and fried, but it's thought, it's we get to put the, the the type of skill into the food that we want to do as cooks. Or we're making the bacon and we're putting all this labor into it uh, and there's technique behind it but you know they're Instagrammable and they're tasty and they're you know and they're just fried and you know they they have bacon egg and cheese like they have what you want if you want breakfast so like we're not trying to fight the things that people want so there is cinnamon cinnamon buns but they're not cinnamon buns my I have I have some Austrian background and so I happen to know a, a really talented Austrian pastry chef. And so we morphed uh, apple strudel into a stick, a cinnamon bun. And, you know, it's because it's one of, the, one of the only things that my dad would make as a, as like a pastry. Like he only made, makes two things, apple strudel and chicken soup. Um, my dad only makes like um, liver and beans. Oh, yeah. So it's like a really, it's like, well, I mean, and he does it very well, but that's like, it's like, those are very specific dad things. Yeah. It's like, how many times did you eat this growing up? Yeah. How many times did you make it for dates? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like I've got my dinner item and then I've got my dessert item and right, right, that's right, it. right. That's all I ever needed. Right, totally. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and like, I just like duck. And who doesn't like duck? And we make a nice. I think we make a nice duck sausage. So we, we're doing like a our like sweet and savory one, like pancakes and eggs and stuff is. Uh, you know, it's scrambled eggs with duck sausage, and then we make to order uh, like a maple flatbread. So that's like sort of like your pancake. There's the egg, there's the sausage. It's sweet, it's salty, it's got some Fresno chilies in it, so it's like a little spicy. Um, when and like we're intentionally, there's Gravlox, but instead of bagels, it's we make crackers that we season with an everything bagel mix that we make. And then we even took lye that you normally you spray on pretzels, so that way we would get the sheen on the bagel cracker. And then instead of Cream cheese, because I don't know how to make cream cheese, but I know how to make ricotta. I 
made ricotta and hung it for a little while so it would be thick like cream cheese and then I folded scallions in it so then I have scallion ricotta with bagel crackers and gravlox that we make um, and so like if you're just in the mood for bagels and lox like you'll get that fix I, we're making our own yogurt and we're making our own granola like everything that you expect we have it that's that's like what we want we don't want it to be like here is your it's like the it's like fancy the, something yeah. or your esoteric uh, waffle or something with a weird you know grain or something like that right it's uh, like the platonic ideals of brunch and then like run through the homestead yeah lens yeah I, yeah exactly and so like I, I'm really excited because we're gonna because we're gonna make the garden a little bit bigger there's gonna be a little bit more seating out there and so like I really can't wait to see what that looks like when it's you know on a fr- on a Friday Saturday Sunday during during the summer during the day. Just like people out there having mimosas and walking around the garden. It's like jazz. Like you, you took a standard and you riffed on it and yeah, and made exactly. it your own. Yeah. When when you were ideating and when you you and your team were ideating, what were some of the kind of criteria or standard you held them to to, to get it to your level of brunch? Or what were some recipes that like were kind of there but but didn't quite make it because it didn't feel like an Olmsted brunch item? The the yogurt, like trying to get the texture of like I like. You know, it's not like the most popular one, but I, I, I still think it should be available. Like someone that doesn't want all this other stuff, someone that's maybe been a couple of th- like we're going to get a lot of uh, neighbors. Like we've already had people. We've only been open for, for two weeks and we've already had people come back. So the menu is a little bit long for this, the type of restaurant that we have. It's like 13, 14 items for brunch. Um, the yogurt, like, you know, do we want it to be kind of like thick Greek yogurt? Do we want it to be a little bit softer? I liked it being a little bit runnier. Um, that took a lot to Gravlox, like the, the smoke and the cure and like sourcing a, like a sustainable fish that, you know, this is not salmon season. So it took us a while to find a salmon that we can use. Um, the burger, like we, we make our own breakfast sausage and then we take uh, gra- New York state grass fed beef and we like figuring out that ratio of how much beef and sausage, how beefy should it be for, for brunch or should it be more breakfasty? I mean, all of it, all of it took, it took a, like a month of, I, of I, back and forth. I always feel that people sleep on the yogurt at, um, Trois Familia. They had this aerated yogurt dish that I went and just kind of looked off a few times. And someone's like, you have to try. It. And I had it and by far yeah. fresh berries, aerated yogurt. And you're just, you know, it's sometimes the most simple things. How, how long did it take you to get the yogurt to where you wanted it? Like 20 tries. I mean, that's a lot of thought into yogurt. Yeah. I mean, every, <laughs> every night we would like, we would, we would cook it in, like, put it in a dehydrator or a water bath. We would, you know, you have to leave, you have to, like, basically temper cultured yogurt into some milk, and then you have to leave it at different temperatures for different amounts of time. And, um, and I, I think we have it. I think it's, it's really nice. It's like a nice, smooth, clean surface. It's not broken or anything. And then we make like a, like, we have these really great dried cherries that we incorporate into like a granola with pistachio. Like, it's, again, like, we're not reinventing it, but it's a great, like everything about the granola is like really well sourced. The milk and the yogurt is really well sourced and it's just simple, but it's well executed. And you, you reimagined the carrot dish for, right. for brunch. How did you take something that's so beloved and so idea, so well known and give it so its own identity so it doesn't feel like you're eating a lesser version of the, the dinner because you just got in for brunch because dinner's already booked out for nine million months? No, no, no. It's not like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, like again, it's like it's about having purpose without it having to be the reason why you're coming there. Like I, I want us to be a, you know, hyper sustainable, thoughtful, good to their employees restaurant, but I don't want I don't want any of that to be why someone is eating at the restaurant. Um, and so, for us, like we're we juice a lot of carrots uh, at the restaurant because it's in the, it takes a lot of to make the sauce and the crepes. It's a lot of carrot juice, so. You know, we're just throw- we tried using the pulp, you know, a couple times, and we didn't really love it. And we have this great falafel dish for- recipe that we use for for an- for the springtime. We do like a beef falafel, so we just took red lentils, soaked them with the whey from the ricotta making process. That's how we rehydrate the lentils. And we just we just decided like let's just commit to this Dan Barber wasted idea. Well, like let's just make a dish that is essentially the byproduct of the dinner menu, and. In- Let's go one step further. Let's let that be the carrot dish, you know, 2.0. Mm. So it's a lot of it. Most of it is, you know, 
byproduct of just making the carrot dish. It's we, we put the sunflower sprouts on the carrot dish, so then we have the stem. It's two inches long. We needed a crunchy element for our little kachi roll that we do, so we use that. We we chiffonade a radicchio for a dish at night. There's the end pieces, so we just cut those even smaller, and we made a little salad mix with the end pieces of the romaine radicchio and the sprout stems. And then we took, we have like trim from beets and radishes and, and red onions. So we just made like a little house chopped pickle mix that we fold in there. And it, the whole dish is just that. It's just a lot of these random odds and ends that we turned into something else. And now it's sort of just like a big bright orange burrito. Um, but it has like a carrot pulp falafel and the salad from like all this byproduct. Um, and then we use last week's yogurt that we don't sell for brunch to make the raita that we use. We have cilantro on a different dish, so we use the stems from the cilantro and fold that in. And, uh, and that, it, I mean, it turned out pretty good. And that is how you do almost dead brunch. Yeah. Chef, thank you. You for, overthink it like you crazy. Over, you overthink it, and then it looks super simple <laughs> and really pretty on Instagram. <laughs> Chef, thank you for coming. Thank um, you for having me. Where can people find you? Um, when? What days are brunch? We are seven-day-a-week restaurant, dinner, brunch, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I live across the street, so I'm there Friday all the time. brunch. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. I like that. It helps with, it helps with the, the scheduling. It, hel- it helps with a lot of things because it, now we have, we have 10 services, so now we can have two teams. It helps, make the, it helps make everyone's days off more consistent. Everyone, please go support a Friday brunch. We're going to need the community <laughs> to turn out. Um, well, thank you for coming by. Thank you. Everyone, check out Olmstead. Um, next up, we have Snacky Tunes 5s, another edition from our favorite wine enthusiast, Jameson Fink. And then we have Desert Sharks live in studio. Sit back, listen to the sweet, sweet voice of Jameson here on Snacky Tunes.
Hi, it's Jameson Fink, and I want to talk a little bit about restaurant wine lists. Uh, I was recently at this place on the Upper West Side called Nice Matan, and the wine list there is this big, thick, leather-bound, um, I don't know, tome, it might be the word for it. It's pretty big. It has like a thwack when you like lay it down on the bar. It's sort of intimidating. And it's a kind of list where it can work against me in two ways. One, because if I'm not alone and I'm with someone, I'm going to get lost in it for a really long time, and I might not be back for like a half hour. So um, I wouldn't go there if you were me, let's say a first date or with anyone you care about, really. Just go there by yourself and, and nerd out on it. Uh, and also, it just also, uh, if I wasn't some you know wine expert type dude, I'd be like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know where to start. I don't know where to end. I don't think about French wine. I got to get out of here. I got to go somewhere and get a beer. So um, what I just did was uh, I flipped through, you know, there's lots of sections, you know, Burgundy, Bordeaux, all that. I went to um, the section called um, Other White Wines, which is kind of a hodgepodge of like 10 or 15 wines. It's mostly a French wine place that kind of just don't really fit into one of those categories. And I think that's a great tip is just to go to like the other red or other white if there's a section because it's going to be where all kind of the oddball esoteric stuff is that um, you can kind of geek out on. And it's only like 10 or 15 wines. It's totally manageable and you probably discover something pretty cool. And I did. Uh, I found a Australian Riesling, um, uh, dry Riesling, pretty much I haven't had a sweet Riesling from Australia. I'm sure they're out there, but um, the, the top quality ones are really dry and they're amazing. And it was a Grosset, who's an incredible producer, and it's their iconic wine, um, the Polish Hill Riesling. And um, and it was 2010 vintage, and it's a wine that can age beautifully. So that's a bonus too. And um, it was like $81, which isn't cheap, but um, for wine in a restaurant to get a, a, a vintage bottle, 2010 vintage, eight years old, um, from an iconic producer, iconic site is, is pretty amazing. Uh, the other thing I thought that was really interesting is that it, um, it came, it didn't come ice cold. It came, you know, kind of cellar temperature. Uh, I don't know, like 60 something degrees. And, um, it was really good right away. And I think that's a, it's like drinking cheap beer. Like you want cheap beer, like to be, you know, almost freezing cold. So you don't taste how bad it is and you just crush it and chug it. Uh, wines a lot like that too. Like, you know, your shitty cheap wines, you want to have, you want to drink them at like an Arctic temperature because otherwise they're kind of intolerable. But, um, and then I was also thinking, well, what if I said Australian Riesling and someone misheard me and thought I said Austrian Riesling, I'd go, haha, it doesn't matter. Cause Austrian Rieslings are also totally awesome. Really good. Mostly going to be super dry, very refreshing. Um, both wines are great with seafood. Um, maybe seafood with a little, just a little spritz of uh, citrus, a little squeeze of lime on it. Uh, fish tacos would be great. They're both really fantastic wines. And um, also the, uh, you know, we had a bottle. And um, one of the things I always read about buying wine at restaurants is like, oh, glass pours are a ripoff. Uh, you should always get a bottle. That's where the best deals are. But you know what? So what? Uh, I don't feel like you're getting ripped off because, uh, if you want to drink, you know, two $15 glasses of wine and you don't want to get a $50 bottle, well then it's not a ripoff. You just save yourself 20 bucks. And also if you're not going to sit down and be like, I'm going to order a bottle of wine by myself and I'm going to drink it all over the course of a couple hours. Or if you're not with a friend who wants to drink that, or your friend's a Zinfandel drinker and you like Pinot Grigio, there's nothing wrong with buying wines by the glass. And also as long as they rotate them a lot and they're fresh and any decent place is going to let you taste it beforehand, too. They're not going to be like, here it is. You bought it. Uh, if you touch it, it's sold. You can't get, you can't return it. So any good place will give you a little sip, a little taste. And if you don't like it, be like, I don't like it. Bring me something else. I mean, don't be a jerk about it. But, you know, uh, speak your mind. Feel free to uh, stand up for what you think is delicious and tasty. And don't take any shit from anyone. So, um Anyway, that's my little spiel about restaurant wines. I definitely think you should um, uh, look for those oddball wines and grapes. If Look for that other section. Even though it's kind of a dumping ground for some things, it's going to be a dumping ground for something that's really cool and of great value and of great interest. Thanks. And you can read them. Um, actually, I'll uh, drop a few um, wine picks for um, Australian and Austrian Rieslings in my blog at jamesonfink.com. I thought up that name myself. And uh, so I'll, I'll publish that and I'll give you some tips on uh, wines like that and more. Thanks. 100 Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 
100 Bogart is a brand new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment, 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Hello, Desert Sharks. How are you? Hello. Hello. We're good. You said that you met through Craigslist personal ads, <laughs> yes. which just went away. It's it did? Really, it yeah, did. Because, yes, because of sex trafficking. Sex trafficking laws. Oh, yes. no. So if we were to go and find your personal ads and how you <laughs> met, what were each of your personal ads? Wait, Sonny, were you the original personal I think ad? So. Go ahead. Tell us what you said. Looking for a relationship or no, music? No, <laughs> you did not. Um, what year was this? I don't know. 2011 or 12. Rebecca knows. Rebecca knows. Well, She's got a memory like a Well, actually, Rebecca hawk. had the first one. Doesn't matter. Basically, <laughs> when I saw it, was who, your ad. Who is I? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. I play bass and sing in uh. Desert Sharks. I saw Rebecca's ad... No, I, did I, I see your ad? You saw my ad. I saw Sonny's ad that was like, I'm into Sleater Kinney and... Typo negative. It, yeah, it, was, negative. it was a mix of the most random shit. It was like, Sleater Kinney and Typo negative and Pat Benatar. Pat Benatar and... Gosh, I don't know what else you said. Susie and the Banshees. Susie and the Banshees. It was a bunch of random stuff, but it was a lot of female bands. So. And like, you're like, oh, okay, this works. Yeah, because I just, I just moved here and I was like, I'm bored. I want to play with other people and I'd never played with other women before, so I saw her ad and I responded. And were the rest of you all Craigslist or was it just that? And then all, the, of us were all, all of us. So Rebecca yeah. had to add up that she was looking to join a band that was already established and I was like, would you want to start something new? And she's like, okay. Oh. We forced yeah. the, me, Sonny, and Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca plays drums, Sonny's lead guitar, and we all met at a Starbucks one awkward day, and we were like, Hi. "Oh yeah, I, I had met Sunny before that. It was just the two of us." Yeah. Um, and how hard was it? Why did you want to join something established as opposed to something new? I honestly don't even remember saying that. <laughs> I think I was just looking for for anything. I just wanted wanted to play some music in a band. <laughs> I, I mean, and, I mean, this is like 2012, so this is like before people would, you know, really before maybe OK Cupid was at that time, but Ooh, it's like, yeah. So it's like you know, there's it's still maybe not like maybe uh, Nerve, Nerve.com. Oh what yeah, the heck is Nerve. I've never heard of that. I don't know. Never heard of that. Grandma over here with her Nerve. <laughs> um, so was the the first meeting just along ones like, hey, did did you immediately recognize each other? Had you exchanged photos, or were you just looking for like? No, you know, women in no, all black. I had no idea. Well, Rebecca, <laughs> I met Rebecca first, and she sent me a link to her old band, so I knew what she right. looked like, but she had no idea I who I was. I did not know what Sunny looked like I didn't at know all. what either of you looked like. I sent you links to my old bands, too. Yeah. It just happened to, it just happened by, you know, the universe aligning that we all kind of look like each other. And then we had a different guitar, second guitar player for a little, like, for like two seconds. Mm-hmm. And she didn't like us. Yeah, we, we never played any shows with her. That was, that was before we actually were she established. She bailed. She was like, this she's, sucks, I'm out. She's like, no, not interested. Yeah, and not then, interested. And then from there, did you use Craigslist for anything else? We well, used Craigslist to find her. So I Stefania. posted an ad, and I was like, my band broke up, and I'd like to play in a band again. And they were the first people that reached out to me. And I auditioned, and then they were like, okay, see you around. We didn't know what to say. First off, how long were you a band before you made her? I, would, like, like a I month. Did, like oh, a month. That's so yeah. cold. That's. <laughs> I didn't, because I didn't know, I didn't know them very well, and everybody was really shy and quiet, and I was like, okay, we'll talk to you soon. But I didn't know if they liked them, so I didn't want to be like, yeah, yeah, you're in. Yeah, we wanted to wait to talk to each other before we knew if we liked That's Stefania. Well, you made me feel bad. And I the guess we liked we're her. We're just so awkward, so we're like, see you around. Bye. We've been, we've been a band for a Bye. month. See you, see you later. Bye. <laughs> Maybe they'll make the cut. Yeah, mm, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of other Craigslist ads we have to comb <laughs> through. So what do you think, what's going to replace this? Like, how are you going to, like, 
Not saying you would break Bands up. Bands of the future. Yeah, how are they going to find each other? They're going to just know. like put in a contact lens and like <laughs> touch a button on their arm and be like, "Who wants to jam?" And it'll pop up. No, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know because like if like if I think about like if I lived in a different city, I don't even know where I would begin. MySpace. MySpace.com. <laughs> I wonder if you can make um, like Spotify should do this because they should just make they like, like make a playlist. And be like, I want to form a band, and then maybe they can match playlists. Oh my god, you should that, that you should cool. talk to Spotify and make a million dollars. Dear Spotify, don't tell anybody. No, nobody listen to this part. Yeah, no, well, no <laughs> one's listening anyway, so it's fine. Uh, can we hear a song? Yes. What are you gonna play for us first? <coughs> this song is called "Don't Be Shy, Alicia," which will be coming on a new album, hopefully this year. Definitely We're working year. on it. Definitely this year. Working on it. Here we are. Desert Sharks live. I saw online that some, but not all of you, were on Gotham as a band. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know Gotham, it is the prequel to how Batman Yeah, it's like Batman. Baby Batman. Like Baby Batman. Um, how did that come about, and, and what was the role of the house band? or uh, what, what was the band on Gotham? What was it called? The yeah, Sirens? It was, it was the house band for the Sirens Club, oh. which was owned yeah, by a couple of the female characters, I believe. The bad, the bad boys. Right. Bad girls. Tabitha and Barbara. Tabitha and Barbara. That that is correct. Basically, a friend of ours reached out to us and said, hey, I saw that Gotham is looking for a house band and they're looking for women. And they reached out to the band and... um, how did we submit? Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he tagged us on Facebook we on a really post looking they for they a band. Yeah, and then we sent an email to, I guess, the casting agency saying we saw this post. And they responded and they're like, yeah, you, you got it. We like you. Yeah, it was weird. 
Um, was it multiple episodes or for just one? Multiple. Several. Multiple episodes. Yeah. Did you have to? Four or five. And what's the? Is it original music or did they write it for you? Or no, how does it it's, work? it's like covers. It's like covers of like eighties jams. The first right? song was um, "I Know What Boys Like" by the Waitresses. Yeah, uh-huh. but it's like their own in-house band. And then everybody's just pretending to play. So like they're like, we want real musicians. But then you play, and you're not really playing. Right. But I, I who, couldn't actually hit the drums. But so who recorded the song? What did you record it? No. Like no. Studio musicians, like studio oh. musicians. Yeah, they would just send yeah. us a recording and be like, listen to this, know how to play this, and then we just they come wanted in and pretend. they wanted real musicians to pretend. Real musicians to pretend. Yeah. They wanted it to look real. To look real. Oh, so they didn't want to be like, so you're just like, oh, yeah, I know how to play the drums and like you're just hitting right. the snare. They wouldn't let her <laughs> right. hit the drums for like most of the scenes. And then right, one right. scene, they'd let her hit the drums. When it was a close up of us, I could hit it. But then otherwise, I had to be silent because there, were, there was dialogue going on with the other actors. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really cool. Um, did you have any input on the songs or any of the direction or, no. just like, or any of that? They're just like, no. you just looked, you were. Well, what's weird is like every single song had a totally different singer. So we were in like five episodes, but the voice would change from like super high to super low. Like there was a Grace Jones cover that was like a man singing <laughs> and it was a woman like mimicking. So, so you were just the backing band. Yeah. We were just the back. And just, like, no, but it was always the same singer, but her voice just kept changing. The voice every was episode. changing. And then it was like, they'd have you there at the studio for like, I was only in one episode. So I'm speaking, I'm Stephanie again, the bass player <laughs> singer lady. But, like, I didn't have the free time to be the actual singer, so I just played the bass player in one episode. And, and we were there for, like, 11 hours for literally two seconds of oh, a clip. Oh, that was a short one. Yeah, it was a short clip. But, hey, whatever. It was fun. Um, can we hear another song? Oh, yeah. <laughs> real, but this time play it. <laughs> okay, this is a Grace Jones. This is real. This I'm is not Grace gr- Jones. It's a Grace What's Jones song? cover. Seasick. Jesus. Not seasick Jesus. Just seasick. Jesus, seasick Jesus. Yeah, they're ready.
one of. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, can you hear me? <laughs> check, check, microphone. <laughs> one of the cool things uh, is that you're on the Bad Cramps Comp. Uh, yeah. We had Harsh Crowd in a couple years ago who was graduates now of Willie Mays Rock Camp for Girls. Um, how did, uh, are you graduates? Sonny used to teach it. Oh, really? Willie what May. did you teach there? Um, I was just like the band coach. So they would put all the girls together in a room and like they would just form bands and none of them knew each other. And it'd be like, we'll guide them. Like, I don't know what the fuck to do. So it's <laughs> just, like, just like play stuff and it sounds good. And it was just interesting to see their dynamic as kids. How do you encourage kids to be in a band? Like, I mean, what is the advice you give them when, you know, it's, I mean, it's eight to eight. For those who don't know, it's all, it's all girls mm-hmm. and then some young women. It's eight to 18, which is obviously a wide range. Um, what advice do you do you give the same advice to the eight year olds the 18 year olds or when they're forming bands like what do you tell them kind of I think just women in general when they go to play and they they're not experienced they're insecure and they're like well I don't want to play this or I don't want to sing it sounds bad so you just have to encourage them to be like no it doesn't sound bad just keep doing it yeah you have to be willing to suck but in what order to get better but what if your kid is a drummer and it's super loud <laughs> what you moved into the basement <laughs> you just have to deal with it my parents <laughs> did yeah um, what was and who else was on the the comp? And you also did a, a benefit show Basic for it as well. Basic bitches. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanya Harding. Tanya Har- what? Tanya Harding. Who else was on that? Tim Volva. Sunny knows all the names. <laughs> Pop this was a while ago. I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, it yeah, was her. cool though. Yeah, it was awesome. Didn't Naomi organize it? Yeah. Yeah, she organized it. Naomi from Basic Bitches organized it, and she's awesome. Uh, and you're also shout out working on an upcoming record. Yes, we're working on our first full length. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's, it's been some time, but you've put out uh, other like DIY projects and EPs yeah. and demos and things like We've that. We've done three sort of EPs at this point. Two. One of them was self-released. Wait, one of them was with Converse Rubber Tracks. And Love then one, Rubber Tracks. Which was awesome. I'm so depressed that they're gone. I know. Oh, they're gone. It, it was, was such a good... Such a good thing, such a cool opportunity to get, because recording can be really expensive. And then uh, the third one, the last EP we did in 2014 was with Manimal. Um, So it's time, we're overdue, and we've been working for a long time writing our first full length. And what goes into a full length in 2018? (sighs) stress, anxiety, <laughs> worrying about the world exploding. Um, before you get the record out. Yeah. Please don't, world don't catch on fire before <laughs> Tether Shark puts out their first LP. Please, Please. let us survive. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's a, like a collective of a few different years of stuff we've been writing. So like there's some tracks on there that are actually like, like what is this a song we haven't played in like two years? And what is yeah, it's going to be on there. No, it's not called that. It's called For Lonely and a Snake. It was one of the first songs we ever wrote as a band. We've just been waiting for the full length to put it out. Yeah, but uh, who knows if we'll still play it. But Just to have it out there. I mean, it's not like everyone puts out a record and they play every song yeah. on there. We're just kind of like, let's just, let's just, no uh, hesitations, expectations. Let's just do whatever. Let's put it out there. Okay. Yeah. Well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song, but where can people find your early EPs and demos and upcoming shows? All of our music is on Spotify and iTunes, but you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Bandcamp. At Desert Shark. And MySpace. And we don't... Do we have a MySpace? And we have an AOL profile. <laughs> We're on Friendster. Um, and and R.I.P. Craig's... R.P. Craigslist. Would, I don't know how you're going to start your band we now. Be, well, we've got that Spotify idea. That's true. We'll I think it. that you need to... We'll do it together. Know, we'll do can, it together. You'll be the face of it. Oh, my God. Um, we want to thank <laughs> Chef Backstrom for coming in, Jameson Fink, and Desert Sharks. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe to Snacky Tunes. Uh, leave us a review. Give us five stars. And I would also say uh, head to the archives, and you can listen to other episodes, including the one with Harsh Crowd. Who are great. Uh, what's the name of the song going to take us out with? The song is called I Don't Know How to Dress for the Apocalypse. Who does? Nobody does. But I hope the apocalypse doesn't come before your LP got comes like out. like five years and we'll be okay. You know, just to get everything out there. Yeah. You think it's going to take five years to do the LP? No, five years for the apocalypse. Oh, okay. And then the LP. Well, and then maybe you have a second LP. We'll be like, check this out. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode of Snacky Tunes. Take it away.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.